This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Representative Kathleen Willis, who represents Illinois' 77th district and was a librarian earlier in her career. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com support. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Um, can you talk a little bit about your um, experiences with libraries when you were growing up and then maybe um, as a mom later in life? Oh, well, sure. Um, you know, interesting enough, um, my actual first real job was actually in a library. Um, it goes, but I actually probably was introduced to that even before then. Um, my mom really instilled reading to us as a family and I remember taking bike rides to the local library when we were living in the city of Chicago and and getting books and putting it in my basket on my bike as we were riding home as a family and then when we moved out to the suburbs of Chicago continuing to do that and um, as I then progressed into high school my first job my first paying job was at our local library in fact I just posted that on a local um, website just recently because we're doing a lot of reminiscing about uh, the town and how it was and I remember starting it would have been in the late 70s um, I was a shelver for $1.99 an hour <laughs> and, and worked through the my high school years and uh, half of my college career and a couple of full-time over the summers working in the library, um, working a lot in the children's room, working with that, helping with story time and stuff. And then as I progressed and um, became a, a wife and a mom, um, money was not readily available for entertainment and our first home was actually walking distance to the public library and uh, there was nothing better than story hour for little kids to entertain them and so I had four children um, five and under and we would go to the library on a regular basis my kids uh, all have a love of reading and uh, that's sort of where I started with that and then when I returned back to school um, well, actually, before that, I returned back to the work world. I um, was able to get a part-time job at our local school as a library aide. And then shortly after that, I got a part-time job also at uh, Elmhurst College as working in their circulation. Decided then to finish my college career. Uh, did that and then readily decided I wanted to get my master's degree in library science at that same time and so I went and did that um, I had been able to move up in the chain at the college library and was really pretty much doing everything a mastered librarian was doing without that degree and I wanted that security of that degree mm -hmm. um, in case management changed I wanted to make sure that I was going to be seen as valuable and so I did that I was um, one of the last groups that went in through the U of I Friday only program and I had a wonderful boss at the college library that allowed me to flex my schedule so that I could take off all day Friday and drive down to Champaign, take classes all day, and then come back and uh, work over the weekend to make up my lost hours. And then um, 
the director of the library, who was Susan Sword Steffens at the Elmhurst College Library at the time, was so awesome. She also offered me an opportunity to co-teach with her um, at the college. And so I was able to co-teach um, two different classes with her, um, adolescent literature and children's literature. And that was awesome and a great experience. And so she and I did that for five years um, before I decided to take the leap to the world I'm in now of politics. And what, 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 what was it that kind of spurred you to want to make that jump and um, to serve in that way? Well, throughout this whole time, I also was very involved in my community. As I told you earlier, I had four children. Um, I'm a very hands-on person. And so um, I was involved in PTAs and scouts and our local town on a variety of things. And along the way, I had somebody that reached out to me and asked me to um, apply for an opening on the school board, our local school board. And I applied for the opening and did not get picked for that opening. And that aggravated me. So I decided to <laughs> run a campaign. So I ran a campaign. And at this time in our town, nobody ran a contested race for an open seat. It was like they were usually hitting bushes trying to get people to go and put their name on the ballot. So I actually ran a campaign for a local school board and came out as the number one vote getter over all the incumbents. And so that started that route. I had, though I had made the decision that I did not want to be on the school board forever. I wanted to not have a stagnant spot. So I ran two terms. Third term, um, they convinced me to stay for a third term because we were transitioning a new superintendent. And then I decided in the middle of the third term to try to run for our local uh, trustee position ran as an independent all by myself against a established board that had run to ran together as a block and just missed being reelected by a couple hundred votes that put my name out on the target area and they were just doing the legislative remaps and they wanted to expand democratic um, representation out into DuPage County where I happened to live and so I got a call from a recruiter from the Democratic Party and they um, asked me if I was interested, and I was like, well, I, maybe. Really what I had thought of at the time was this would be a good way to learn how to run a campaign better, and come the spring I'll run again for trustee and I'll do better. And um, instead what had happened was the momentum was there. Um, we, I had a great team that worked with me. People were ready for a change, and I beat a 20-year incumbent um, and switched the party of that uh, this area. Wow, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was weird. And, and you've been reelected a couple times since then, so. Yes, yeah, so I am up for my fifth term right now for re-election. Um, the last two years, I have also had the privilege of being in the uh, House leadership, too. So I have an official title of the House Majority Caucus Chairperson, which means I run the caucuses to make sure everybody is quiet when they're supposed to and gets a chance to speak when they need to. That's, what, that, that's that librarian and teacher training in you. <laughs> that orderly part of me, yes. Um, is there any, do, do you, uh, speaking of that kind of, is there anything else about being a librarian or teacher um, that you feel like is a benefit to you as a representative? Well, yeah, I actually, I know how to do my own research. 
or, or I know where to look for research to direct people to find me stuff. So, um, and I think that is a great benefit. Um, also, because reading is always a part of your life when you're a librarian, I'm a fast reader, so I can go through a lot of uh, papers really quick and, and know how to pick out the key points. I mean, one of the things I used to teach my students was how to do a five-minute book read by doing, you know, the front and the back and, and checking in in between. And so I can read through bills pretty quickly on that. And there, as a legislator, there's tons of bills. There's a lot of information that comes through. And even more so as leadership, because in leadership, we actually review every single bill before it mo moves on to the next. So, for example, this session, we've had 6,000 bills that have come through the House. Wow. So we review all of those to a certain extent. <laughs> and how many of those kind of make it all the way through the process? Like how many, how many bills would you say in a year you actually get passed out of the? Out of uh, about 500. So about 500 usually go through all the way, um, you know, and that doesn't include the the big budget bills that come through on that kind of stuff. But there are a lot of them are just updating language and simple small things. And then you do have some major issues that come through that people are um, passionate about and we want to see happen. Yeah, that's what I always uh, think about it at, at the federal level. Like they're doing this big um, bills, but then they're also renaming post offices. So there's just, <laughs> there's all kinds of ranges of things going on there. So. Yeah. Every, every year there's always these little updates and, you know, let's get rid of this section because it no longer applies or move this to this part of the, the statute. So there's a lot of little tiny stuff that really nobody cares about. Um, but it's necessary to make the government run right. Um, well, is there anything that's, um, Obviously, this was not something that you were planning to do. You're like your whole life of, oh, I'm going to go get into politics that they kind of recruited you in. Um, is there anything that was uh, surprising to you about um, the work that you're doing that you never would have thought, oh, I didn't know politicians did this or that? Well, I, I think certainly in the state of Illinois, the state of Illinois is very diverse and very big. And I think that is probably the biggest eye-opening thing that I've seen that um, you have the city of Chicago that looks at things one way. You have the collar counties, which is where I live, that look at the other. And then you have the southern part of the state. And the southern part of the state is really from about 100 miles south of Chicago down. And the state itself is like 500 miles from one end to the other. And so there are different ways that people look at different things um, they have different priorities in what they are or how they want to get to those priorities. I think that's something that's the most eye-opening. We all, no matter, and I think this goes nationally, not just state, everybody wants a few certain things in their life. They, they want their children to have things better than them. They want good schools. They want to have a good job and um, maybe good health care and, and a roof over their head. Those are the things that are most important to people. How we get to there, that's where the arguments come in and all that different stuff that you have to learn to deal with. And um, one of the things I've learned the most that it's important to see the viewpoint that's different than your own and try to find commonalities in there so that you can uh, find someplace that you can agree in the middle. Um, yeah, here in Georgia is basically the same way. There's Atlanta and then there's, there's the rest of Georgia. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Um, what would you say are your legislative kind of priority? Like what kind of bills do you get really get behind and um, what kind of committees and stuff are, are you kind of trying to get onto? So uh, I've been fortunate enough for the past eight years to be on the Human Services Appropriation Committee. And that's a pretty big committee. And I have uh, been like a fish in water in that. I love that committee. It does a lot of stuff. It's um, important to me on everywhere when we're dealing with how to be the voice for people that don't have a voice. And and that's really important, making sure that we have funding where we need to, that we take care of those less fortunate. So the Human Services Appropriation Committee has been fantastic, and I love it, and it's a place I refuse to give up. Um, Also, because of my school board background, I've also done a lot of work on the school district. Um, I've done both higher education because when I worked at Elmhurst College, I was very involved. And I've also done um, K through 12 education. And I still keep involved in that. But legislatively, um, because of the city of Chicago and because of where I'm at, And because of a family connection, I've done a lot of work on anti-gun violence. And so I've been working on um, some bills, and I I had a bill. It actually took me about five years to pass, but it actually was the only bill that came through that was a gun bill that was passed bipartisanly and was signed into law from a Democratic um, House that and House and Senate that passed it and signed into law by a Republican governor. Um, it was a red flag bill. Um, mm-hmm. And what it did, it was a bill that put into place, it was signed in three years ago, was put into place to give family members the tools to temporarily get guns out of somebody's house they felt um, could harm themselves or harm others. It did not go and forbid them from ever owning a gun again, but it temporarily took those guns away while that person um, got the help they needed or got their life back in order. Um, and I was very proud of that bill. Um, and it was, it was, it's called an emergency restraining order bill. Um, an emergency violence restraining order bill, um, and it's we were the third state to pass that, um, and it has gone now. I believe there's about eight or nine states that have passed that bill, um, and it's a good bill. It's it's pro. It it protects gun owners, um, so it doesn't go and you know confiscate their guns that they can never get it back. But it also um, is a bill that allows them to get the help they need so that we don't have tragedies, whether it's a personal tragedy because somebody commits suicide or it's a mass shooting type of tragedy. And we saw after the fact we're playing quarterback the next morning and realizing there were all of these red flags that were there beforehand. Can you, um, not not the entire process because it would take too long, but can you talk about kind of the process of like how do you write a bill? (laughs) Like, Like when you're starting from scratch, you're just like, well, like, do you have like a little template that you can start from? Of, yeah, know, using the there's a couple of, yeah, there's a couple of ways that that happens. Oftentimes, the easiest way is somebody comes to you with a bill idea, and it could be a lobbyist, an advocate group, or something along those lines. And they say, hey, I've got this idea. I, I would love for you to carry it. Here is what it is. Um, and, and that's actually how my red flag bill started on that type of thing. Um, a, a gun violence prevention group came to me with this idea. 
And so then you take that bill idea and you turn it over to your legal department and they put it into the bill form that it needs to be. And then you file the bill and then it's seen by, then it's your typical uh, schoolhouse rocks type of thing. Goes <laughs> right. to the committee and then it gets, you know, voted out of committee. Yes. And then it goes to the house and then it switches to the other chamber going the same way through their committee and stuff. If it gets passed by um, the majority, then it gets moved over to the governor's desk for, for signing of it. That's the first, the easiest way. Another way is, um, and I'll use another bill that I did that I, was one that I used from inception myself. Um, I went to visit a, uh, a uh, group home that was run by Easter Seals out here. And there were four young men that were living in the home, and they were so proud to show, show me the home. But they said, you know, Representative, our good friend Jim can't join us, and we have a room for him, but he can't because he's got diabetes. And I was like, what does that have to do with it? Well, he had also cerebral palsy and was unable to do his own insulin injections. Well, I happen to have a daughter who's been a type 1 diabetic since she was 4, and she knew how to do her own shots at 8. And I was like, well, that's crazy. And I looked into it. I had my staff look. And the law states at that time that only a registered nurse could do an injection for somebody that was a ward of the state or in a group home. And I was like, well, anybody can get trained to do that. And we had a staff member living in the home 24 hours at a time that could very easily do it. And now you have insulin injections through pens and stuff. So I looked into this, asked what we could do on it, and I had my staff write a bill that would allow tra a trained personnel that could be a trained lay personnel be able to do insulin injections. You then have to get the approval of all of these groups that are going to be involved in it. So to make the bill process go better, you talk to the, the nurse lobbyists, make sure that you let them know you're not taking away their job. You talk to the Department of Health, you make sure you're following all of their guidelines. And you get all that put together. And if you get everybody to agree, you tweak language, you get a bill written, and you go through the schoolhouse rocks uh, type of uh, scenario again. Right. And, and I assume you kind of know vaguely a lot of, if not everybody, most of the people in the chamber as well. So you can kind of, you know, maybe who to go to for an ally to say, well, I know you'll help me. Do this right. <laughs> well, and the best bills are ones that you have bipartisan agreement on. And so you have key people on the other side of the aisle that you know are like-minded, that might have a specialty. So at the time, actually, the minority leader um, I knew also had a daughter that was a, a diabetic. So I reached out to him and, and I said, leader, would you like to sign on as a co-sponsor on this bill? Because I think this is a good bill. He immediately did. And then we actually have a House Diabetes Caucus. And so all of them got onto the bill and worked together. Then I reached out to the American Diabetic Association to have their lobbyists to see this. And they helped work the bill to get the votes. The majority of the bills that pass um, legislatively usually pass by a supermajority. So it's not one party only. Um, and you'll find also the bills that um, are controversial that nobody ends up liking at the end are compromise bills. And that's a good thing too. Nobody should get everything they want in a bill that has controversy on it. So right. that's, yeah. that's a good way to work with that. 
Yeah, I've always heard kind of the these state legislatures are a little more cooperative these days than maybe the, the federal is. Well, you know, and I think even the federal is on a certain way. It's the the controversy is what makes news. Okay, right. and so that's and the big issues right. put in. You know, like I said earlier, we you know we pass about five hundred bills a year, and I would easily say four hundred and fifty of them are passed with minimal controversy. Um, but those 50 are the ones that the press likes to go and write articles about and make a big deal about. And, and that's where you have the issues come through. So public libraries in particular, but then lots of other libraries, um, are funded primarily through um, government agencies. Um, what are the best ways that librarians can kind of talk to legislatures or, sorry, legislators um, and um, kind of, they can't always lobby on their own behalf, depending on how um, local laws work, but what's the best way to kind of try to get funding? (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you this. Here's one of the things, and and I am not the only um, legislator that does this. First off, most state library associations have a lobbyist that they hire. And that lobbyist works both for federal and state issues on it. So that person, you want to make sure that that person has a working knowledge of the library um, in addition to a working knowledge of politics and and bill process. So that's important. And in the state of Illinois, we've got a a great group that does that. But also um, on a local level, it, you should have, and most local libraries, I think, do this, know who your, your representation is from. Who, who is that? And I will tell you that one of the things that I do for outreach in my own community is I do what it's called satellite hours, and I love running my satellite hours at the local library. Because you have a ready stream of people, of uh, you know, a stream of people coming in. I, they, my librarians set me up in the lobby with a table. I greet people. We talk for a few minutes, and it's great that way. I also have been known to do um, a number of events at local libraries too, because again, they usually don't charge us for a meeting room. They're handicap accessible. Everybody, they have a great parking lot. I'm fortunate enough, my district office is right across the street from a public library, so uh, they, I have a great relationship with them on it. So it's important to do that. That also means when it comes time for grants, those librarians know who I am, and, and they will pick up the phone and they'll say, you know, hey, we're, just do, we're looking to do an expansion, or we need to get this grant for technology. Can you write a letter of recommendation? Um, that's really important to do. Um, two of my libraries in t- um, in my district just I put them in for capital development grants, and they both were awarded those over the past couple of years. Though unfortunately with COVID, capital money has slowed down a little bit, but they both will be eventually getting that money, um, and and that's important. And I know I'm not just doing it because I'm a librarian. Most of my colleagues love to have satellite hours at a library. It's a good place to be. Yeah, so basically, I mean, librarians just need to do, library staff just need to do what they always do, which is connect people with the community, which is sometimes connecting them with the representatives that you're um, overall being represented. Yeah, it's always great. And and it works out really well. Um, A good representative will 
jump at the chance to have a meeting in there. And, you know, the, the library, the last one I did was right before COVID hit and we were very concerned how that was going to go. So we actually live streamed it also. And it went really well. We had only about eight people in the audience, but I know when they live streamed it, um, there were, you know, over a hundred hits going through on it. And so it's a good way to have outreach um, in a safe environment for both people. Um, and then I wanted to kind of wrap up um, with giving you an opportunity to tell listeners just about your district. What kind of district is it that you represent? <laughs> so the 77th district is a very diverse district. Um, it is uh, the western side of O'Hare Airport, and it includes O'Hare Airport. We have people that um, are very, very wealthy, and we have people that are practically homeless. So it is very diverse in uh, finances. It is um, approximately 52% Latino or Latinx, depending upon what term you want to use. Um, and that is important to make sure we have a lot of um, mixed immigration status households. And, and that's important that we have to work with that. Um, we also have a very strong working class um, people that are in there. And we have a lot of small business owners. So it's, it's extremely diverse. Um, there's a, um, a section of my community that is um, Polish. I have a, a, a large, one of my towns is, is pretty much Polish um, descendants in it. And then I have another town that has um, um, Asian in it. And like I said, the majority is Latinx um, on there. So it, it's a very, you know, very diverse. Um, it's, a pro, it's pretty much about 51% Democratic and 49 percent Republican, though I think we have a lot of swing voters in there. Um, there are a lot. It's, it's very moderate on that, which I like to see that. Um, I consider myself a moderate. Um, I'm socially um, socially progressive, but uh, fiscally conservative on that part, which tends to go over well in my community. And um, I've lived in this community for almost 50 years now. So, which is really good too on that aspect. I understand it and know it well. Yeah. My, the, the county I live in is, is, I think, usually the most diverse county in the United States. Usually um, we've been majority <laughs> minority for a long time and, but we have every little group of everything. And the best part is that you get yummy food from all over the place. Too, so. Right. Well, that is true. I mean, when I go uh, walking and I, I, other pre-COVID, I used to walk my community on a regular basis, knocking on doors, whether it was election time or not, just checking in with people. And if you do it over the summer, go on an empty stomach because they're going to feed you all along the way. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, uh, we, we have a, one of the churches around here has a Polish festival every year, and we always have to go to that <laughs> because mm -hmm. you, you mentioned you have a big Polish community there too. Yeah, we have uh, a number of... Uh, you know, his, we have a Hispanic Fest, we have a little taste of Italy Fest, uh, we have Greek Fest, we have everything here. So. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the sad things that we're kind of missing now with, yes, with yes, COVID times. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, all right, well, um, we, you mentioned before we started recording that you are the only librarian <laughs> in the chamber. Um, so yes. congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> representing the, the profession. 
<laughs> well, you know, there are a, a couple of people that have spouses that are librarians, so that that's close. I guess they can get it by default, but uh, <laughs> it makes me the darling of the Illinois Library Association, so that works well. <laughs> right. Well, um, if people want to follow up with you, how could they get in touch with you? Well, um, I do have uh, an e- my email and my website. My website is repwillis77.org. Or you can go and um, reach me on my um, email, which is repwillis77 at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking with me today. Well, thanks. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at CircIdeas or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka, and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas.